Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Today, we're honored to have with us special guest, Ryan Hildebrandt, founder of Viral Message Lab. Ryan helps you craft your one-in-a-billion message to become a thought leader, TEDx speaker, author, and more. Ryan, it's great to have you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Looking forward to it. Awesome, man. So I was looking at your background and everything, and it's super interesting. One of the most interesting points that stuck out to me is, you know, I'm a software engineer, and I saw that you're in mechatronics engineering, which... I had no idea what the hell that was before hearing about you. So I had to actually Google it. Can you tell the audience, like, what is mechatronics engineering? Yeah, it's basically robotics. There's three very similar fields that all have to come together to make a, like a machine move. So one part is the mechanical side, mm-hmm. one part is the electrical side, and then the other part is the brains of the operation. So the, the software of the whole thing. These still and are, will, will continue to be for all of eternity, independent fields, right? You need people that just do mechanical at a deep level. You need people that just do circuits at a deep level and, and software at a deep level. But when all of these things combine, well, mm-hmm. you need someone that, that knows a little bit about how do you design a circuit, but then also like, how does that relate to the mechanical design of the machine? And then also like, what's the software doing? So that's mechatronics. So I started my career running automation software for massive factories. It's awesome. For a while, I thought that not necessarily mechatronics, but like I was always curious about like factory lines and like production mm. and automation. That's kind of what got me into like software overall. Was there some moment growing up that inspired you to go into mechatronics specifically and like robotics? I think I just thought it was cool. I started, I mean, like any good Canadian boy, wanted to be a professional hockey player. And then it was, I think, astronaut and then lawyer. And then I dropped lawyer as a possibility because I learned they had to write too many things and I like just to argue <laughs> with people. I was good at math. I was good at science and all that kind of stuff. So engineering. And then I was looking up programs that were available at the University of Waterloo, which is where I studied mm-hmm. in Canada. And that was one that looked just did look cool. <laughs> so nice. Yeah, that was it. And then I think what I like throughout my degree, I did a bunch of internships and I learned that I love the process of actually talking to the end customer. So I loved going yeah. into the factory mm-hmm. and talking to these people who were the like real operators of the factory and learning, okay, what do they actually want? Just because something is good software or like technically is correct. It doesn't mean it's the right solution for the problem. So mm-hmm. I learned in university how much I loved the human interaction side of things and almost like the marketing and sales side of engineering. Yeah, I was just going to ask you too, like what got yeah. you into the marketing sales? So you went deeper than just like understanding a little bit of like marketing for engineering. It seems like you also got like a little bit deep into the psychology side too, right? So what led you there? Well, so I think it was just the moments of failure, really. It was making something for a client that was tested and was working, right? Yep. <laughs> and to them, it was a bug or mm-hmm. it didn't work, even though it worked the way that, that I thought that they said. Yep. It was supposed to work. And so I realized, okay, like there's so much of success, basically like a ton of success 
odds of my job depend on me understanding what they actually want. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily what they say at the, at the start, but what the, the desires beyond the desires. And so I think I learned to appreciate the ability to ask really good questions and understand that. Yep. And even better than even the clients did themselves, because if I didn't do that, well, at two in the morning when they had a problem because of that miscommunication, I was going to be having to answer the phone. So, so I better figure <laughs> that out real fast. And yeah, then I saw, wow, like there's so much, well, when you understand someone's desires, unstated or stated, right, in the, mm -hmm. in the root cause behind them, even better than they, they understood themselves or even like led them to a new understanding for themselves that they didn't think of, their level of appreciation is so high. I think that's the ability that helped me, even though I didn't study marketing, like I just like read blogs about marketing, yep. that they helped me launch the TEDx event that I'm sure you saw in uh, 2015. So that, that worked really well. And we sold tickets really fast, mm -hmm. even though at the time I basically had zero marketing credentials. Really? Okay. No, like, I mean, I just had read blogs. I like, sure. Anybody listening has read random blogs of like three tips to market your thing. Yeah. That was my level of experience with it, except for working with clients yeah. on the engineering side. Yeah. Was that your first time putting on an event too? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I had like invited friends for dinner and stuff, but like, this is a conference yeah. with videography and photography and, and caterers and a volunteer team and all this stuff was new to me. I mean, I had done project management for my engineering job, mm -hmm. but it's very different than putting on a conference for the general public. Definitely. To catch the audience up. So yeah, yeah. you put together a TEDx event in... Leamington Spa, England yeah. in the West Midlands. What happened was I was traveling a lot, you know, going to customer sites. I kind of tacked on personal travel on kind of either end of business travel as much as I could. Yep. And love visiting a place, but it was, it's something very different to live somewhere versus just to visit. Yep. With my internships for university and I like, I moved to a different part of Canada for university. I was living somewhere for my whole university thing. And then also like four months stints doing internships. And I did that in different parts of Canada as well. I knew a little bit about what it was going to be like to move somewhere. And so the company that I was working for, like I was looking for opportunities to figure out how to move to, you know, somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And they said one day, Hey, like we're opening an office in England who wants to move over. And I was like, yeah, like I just kind of made the strongest case, I think. So I moved over to England and yeah, basically starting this TEDx event was a very elaborate way to make friends. <laughs> I wanted to build a network, right? Of interesting people yeah. in this new place. And I, I wanted to be surrounded by people that were doing really cool, amazing things. And one of the ways that I knew how to do that was to, to start something. It's one thing to attend someone else's conference or to volunteer, you know, on the team for someone else's thing mm -hmm. or to be an employee, but to be the founder of it, the benefits are disproportionate, Definitely. even if the work isn't. If you're not the main guy, like, just forget it. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> if you're number like 100, forget it. I mean, you could say you're involved and you may be working harder and, and longer now than the founder, but like yep. you get so many benefits from just being first. So mm. what was interesting is, you know, TED Talks people, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the platform. The reaction I got in the town when I told people was like, oh, I'm so glad that Ted decided to come here. I was like, no, it wasn't Ted. It was, it was me. It was some yeah. random Canadian dude. They just showed up in your town and was like, well, we can make this better. Steve Jobs has this quote, right? Where mm -hmm. you kind of realize like the world around you, that everything that exists was made at some point by someone that's no smarter than you are. And their only victory was just deciding to do it. 
in the first place. So yeah, that's how it all started. I wanted to create the best TEDx event anybody ever been to. So I'm pretty competitive with myself uh, and you'll see that from like the things I've done. So we priced our tickets three times higher than an event that was like a 20 minute drive down the street. And we're able to sell out our tickets in 73 minutes flat. There was people that were angry because they couldn't get tickets. Wow. Like wrote angry messages saying like how we should have known that it was going to sell out this fast. And I had no <laughs> idea. Like I was worried about selling it at all. Yeah. Because um, we were kind of audacious in pricing things. So yeah, we sold out really fast. The event now has become, I believe, the second biggest in the UK in terms of YouTube views. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot, I mean, they were talking about like some random event in the middle of England compared to like big cities in like London and Edinburgh and Birmingham yeah. and Manchester and like big, big, big events. Mm -hmm. So it's done quite well. And yeah, I think that was, that was a function of having that, like just knowing that I'm going to make the best thing that's ever existed. And then having that experience of like trying to figure out what do people actually want? I mean, one thing that's really interesting is people, you know, people don't pay to watch TED Talks online, right? So why would they pay to attend an event? I charged 55 British pounds, which at the time was close to 100 American dollars. Uh, so why would someone pay for something they can get online for free, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of TEDx events, and this still happens, they, they sell and they market to their audience based on the speakers, right? Yep. Come and see these amazing speakers. This is the like lineup for the day. And I realized, well, like, wait a second, if people aren't buying the speakers, they can get the speakers and the ideas for free online yep. at their convenience. Why would you market to them and try to get them to buy tickets for the speakers? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. So what's the psychology angle that you take then? What I did was, yeah. was I, I realized, well, like people, they're paying for the experience of being in the same room as the other people attending and being in the same room as the speakers, hmm. right? Like if you go to a concert or something, you're, you're paying for the vibe and the energy in the room. You can probably get better music quality just popping on some good headphones at home, frankly. <laughs> so the same thing is true for a conference. So basically what people were paying for is the experience of being in the same room as all the smartest people in your town. Like who knows what could happen. Yeah. And so what I did was I told stories about myself and about my life. And I kind of said, well, like if I think about my life in the last couple of months, mm -hmm it kind of all blurs together. There's work stuff and there's going out with friends and we're kind of going the same places as we've always gone. And there are like a few highlights, but they're few and far between. And I said, well, this one time in a coffee shop in London, I sat down with this guy named Roger Frampton mm -hmm. and he was like doing these weird movements on the floor and telling me all about how the fitness industry is entirely broken and how he learned from being like a fashion model mm -hmm. and studying gymnastics, how to move differently and he wanted to share his like insights from modeling and gymnastics and, and yoga to, with the audience. Right. Mm -hmm. And Roger, you know, was one of our speakers. And so I said, well, like that's a conversation I remember because we're all, we're all the same wavelength. So everyone knows the experience of like, or how much value you get from a chance encounter with somebody who gives you a new insight, right? It changes your yep. life. This Definitely. is why people go to, you know, networking events and conferences and stuff in the first place, really. I said, that's what you're going to get at this event. Or you're going to get the experience of being in the same room as all the smartest people in the entire area. And they've paid a lot of money to be there. So, you know, they really, mm -hmm. really want to be there too. And who knows how that could change your life. Yeah, it did really well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We sold it very quickly. If we go into yeah. like the tactics a little more, right? I guess one thing for the audience, right? TEDx events are nonprofit 
you have to put up your own money or figure out another way to get you gotta yeah you gotta figure out how to get uh, how to get a venue and a videography team and stuff right yeah i mean how do you do that so like going into like the marketing tactics a little bit what do you even do did you like put up your own money to do like facebook ads or something so i think it was ballsy frankly because Mm -hmm. again i think about this january 2015 i know nothing about running conferences whatsoever Mm -hmm. I don't have a team. I have zero people on my team. The team is me. I know how to make a WordPress website and register a domain and like make a Twitter account. So I do all those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just start telling people, okay, we're going to have this event in November. Why November? Because December is Christmas, you know, and you've got a year to do the events. Right. So December is holidays. So November Mm -hmm. was giving myself as much time as possible to figure this out and then do that two things help me. One is just saying this is going to happen. And then Mm -hmm. you have to be first and then invite people along for the ride. I want to come back to that point because it's really important. And then the second thing I think was the Ted brand. So if it was Ryan's conference, I don't Mm -hmm. think it would have worked as well, but I was piggybacking off of this, this brand that had built up a ton of sort of goodwill with a lot of people that they had received free content from this brand effectively for years and years and years. And all, all loved it and dreamed of becoming part of it, but had never actually had a chance to, to pay back. Like Ted doesn't have anything for sale that most people can buy. You can attend the, the conference Ted, but it's application only. And it's extremely expensive. It's like 10 grand to, to get a ticket and you may not even get a ticket, right? Yeah. Even if you've got the cash. Mm-hmm. So then back to the first thing saying like, I've got a plan. This is that the, the cool exciting thing I'm going to build. It's not for me. It's, it's for like everybody here. Mm-hmm. My theory is that most people are walking around and they have this vision for a more exciting life for themselves. They want to be a part of something bigger, right? But most people don't know, like they're a graphic designer or they're a personal trainer and, and they don't know how their thing applies in a, in a much bigger way than themselves. So if you come along and say, I'm going to start a conference, what I really need is someone that knows something about social media marketing. Because I don't know that, but this is going to be part of this massive, cool thing that you already love. People jumped on that. So that was cool from like a volunteer team perspective. And there were some challenges there as well, but then also from like a, like a public perspective. So the local business owners in the town, I mean, they had been watching TEDx talks for years and years too. Yep. And there was never an event in this town. Like no one had just done this before. So yeah. they were pumped that there was something happening locally. And so they told all their friends. Mm-hmm. So we had that, a, a decent sized email list getting speakers and all these things. And also once you have that audience, well, guess what? Like you can get sponsors. So we got our venue for free videography, photography, and half price on really expensive catering, like really, really high to high end catering just because of sponsorship. So once you remove like these big, big cost centers mm-hmm. from making something, I mean, our expenses, yeah, we pay a little bit of money for Facebook ads. We didn't really have to do, honestly. And, you know, we paid money for like t-shirts for the volunteer team and some Mm -hmm. gift, like uh, canvas bags for gift bags and like little things, having the goodwill and having a bunch of people help, right? Say, oh, there's this thing happening. I want to be a part of it. Can I give you coupons to have a free coffee at my cafe? Like that kind of thing helps the whole thing happen. So I'm a firm believer in you just need to be first. And then Mm -hmm. after you're first, it becomes like everyone else thinks is obvious. Like, oh, obviously Leamington Spa is a really nice posh town with lots of small businesses. Obviously there would be a TEDx event there, <laughs> but it wasn't obvious for like years before, even yeah. though there was 
these other events everywhere else in the country, you get so much benefit, I think, from just being the first one yeah. where no one else has thought of it before. One of your big things, too, is talking about creating and building like great ideas. And right. I mean, even just like the concept of that TEDx event it is, is yeah. just a great idea that you brought other people along the ride for. Right. So I'd love to like dive into that and just talk about. Like, right. Okay. What, what do you do to create a great idea? And like, let's even take like that example. Sure. Well, let, a, let's go, let's go one step yeah. back. Right. Cause like yeah. for, for people listening, I, I know like I was this way for a long time. I was like, Oh, there's these people that, that write books and do talks and all these things. But, like, I'm not like that. I'm not this like influencer or whatever. I'm just yep. a guy who's doing good work. And I want to, I want to stand out because I, of my, the quality of my work, not because I'm like just talking about stuff all the time. Yep. When I was still an engineer, I realized, this is before I moved to England, I realized, well, there's like two people that can offer me opportunities for like a promotion at this company, right? Like there's not a lot of people. And so even if I'm amazing at what I do, mm -hmm. the odds of like, there's lots of other people that are amazing that also work with me. So like just my, my opportunities are very limited, mm -hmm. even if I'm like the perfect employee, even if I'm a genius. So what I realized I had to do was start getting myself out there. And so what I decided to do was write articles for big trade magazines. Mm -hmm. And I would come up with like a pitch of an idea that I wanted to write about and, and pitch the trade magazine and a couple of them said yes. And so what I would, what I would do is I would use the credibility from being featured in one place to, to pitch the others, right? And kind of just yep. work my way up. So I realized like for me to bring this back to engineering terms, like your opportunities in life are a function of the quality of your ideas at like, as people are seeing them yep. and the number of people that are exposed to those ideas. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you go and you know, you buy like a really expensive billboard and put something really lame on it, well, there's not much value there, but mm -hmm. if you're a genius and no one knows it, then there's also not a lot of value there. What happened was I started getting like invitations to speak at conferences and I would have been probably the youngest person in the whole room, let alone person speaking, right? Yep. And it all came from just from articulating ideas outside of my company. If you want to be, let's say you're a graphic designer and you only want to be a graphic designer for your whole life, then put on Instagram, like all your graphic designs and people yep. are going to see obvious signals that you're good at graphic design and they're going to hire you to do graphic design. If you're a coder and you want to be a coder for the rest of your career and you only want to do that, then create like sample code and, you know, yep. go on, contribute to open source projects and whatever else, like demonstrate mm -hmm. your coding. But if you're a coder and you want to get into management, you can't signal that you're a great coder. You have to signal that you've got great strategic ideas. Yep. So how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Public, how do you, how do you publicly signal insights and strategy and leadership skill? before someone hires you. I think the way that you do that, so if you wanna move up in, in a company or in, in the world in, in general, you get farther and farther away from kind of the workshop or the, the craft and you get into leadership and insight and ideas. So that's why I think it's important to publicly signal that you have good ideas, that you're an insightful person, that you're smart, that you, you see yourself as a thought leader for your whole industry, right? So that a company can go read your blog post or watch your your talk or read your book or what have you and go, Oh, here's a person who they're not just famous or have a cool audience or a good speaker. Cause I don't, I think being a good speaker is kind of overrated a little bit. What they see is you've got good ideas. Mm -hmm. And then like the answer for how is like fundamentally from a high level, 
what I do with people is I walk them through not kind of one-on-one feedback. So I don't tell people like, oh yeah, Sean, that's a good idea. That's a bad idea. Yep. Cause I'm biased, right? You're mm-hmm. biased. And so that's why you're asking for feedback, but I am biased too. So if we want to know, well, what is your industry think? Like, is this really going to fly in a high, in a high level? We can't just rely on my feedback either. Yep. Right. So same thing is true. Like if you ask your friends or your family or like a colleague or something that knows your field mm-hmm. uh, and, and it wants the best for you, they're your advocate. They're highly biased. So what I do with people is I give them little market research tasks and say, all right, Sean, go and post this in this forum like that. Mm-hmm. Then you come back to me with the data and we go, okay, like, it seems like people are trying to kind of, they're trying to say this. And it seems like this way that you said, like, I can see here that this was confusing to people and this wasn't confusing to people. And the reason that's so important is number one, it gives us real data. So it'd be like building an MVP, uh, minimum Mm -hmm. viable product, right? For a software company or software product. So it gives you real data to steer the direction of this thing, but also gives you confidence that you can go and like pitch a big conference, like a TEDx, right? Or invest a ton of time writing a big blog post about it, even though you're a busy person. And you know, when you hit publish, you can preempt everyone's objections. You know, you're not mm-hmm. going to be like mocked in the industry. You know that if you get, maybe you pitch a bunch of like trade magazines in your industry, right? Or blog mm-hmm. posts in your industry. You know that if one or two turns you down, you still know the fundamental premises sound is going to work at some point, or you've got yep. the confidence to persist. That's fundamentally like how you do it. The reason that's so important is because there's people, you can build confidence doing public speaking in the same realms all the time. So you can be like, okay, I'm going to speak to these 10 people, these 20 people in my industry, and then they invite you to do it again and again and again. The question is, well, you're investing a ton of time in these little opportunities. You're not getting a lot back though. So, I mean, I would argue that rather than doing like 10 talks at little schools or networking events, do like one TEDx talk or one keynote yep. and the rewards you get from that are huge compared to the little bitty opportunities. People listening to this, they know this, right? You've, yep. Everyone listening to this, they've had these moments in their career where they go, oh my God, like I got this job offer or I got this mm-hmm. project yeah, of work, moment. like these yep. huge moments that give you so much mm-hmm. and there's all like little ones, right? So rather than there's a, there's a quote goes like, it goes something like this. A lion is perfectly capable of hunting and eating field mice, yep. right? But it turns out that the, the caloric benefit of eating the mouse is so small that it actually, it, it takes more energy to hunt the mouse than it is to like, you get the food from it. So instead a lion has to spend way more energy and effort hunting antelope. Those antelope, those big opportunities, that's what really sustains the lion. So if people are thinking about hustling, you can hustle mm-hmm. all day and you'd be hunting field mice and it's depressing and you don't get a lot of benefit from it. Or you can, you can hustle in a different direction yep. and do like a TEDx talk or write a blog post for your industry and put way more effort on that blog post mm-hmm. than like a little bitty Facebook post in your own thing. And yep. it takes way more effort to even get the, the opportunity in the first place but the benefit you have for your career or your business, if you have a business, right, yep. is so much higher. Yep. So yeah, I think people should generally aim for big, exciting, scary opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and that's, for me, that's in my personal life as well, because the benefit you get out of it is just disproportionate compared to 
like little bitty things. Definitely. Where can people go to get more information about you and about Viral Growth Lab? And well, I'm in the middle of a book project right now, taking my my coaching strategies that that have worked, helping many many people get get booked to TEDx talks, making those accessible for kind of everyday people. So mm-hmm. you can go to viralmessagelab.com/book, and there's some kind of free chapters and things you like that you can get. Yeah, you're on my email list at that point, and I'll I'll send you stuff. You can reply back, and you get a direct line to me. So that's the the best thing to do to get more info. So now, as you take a viral growth lab to the next level and going into 2021, what do you think your biggest challenge is going to be for breaking into your next level and your next antelope opportunity? For me, the business in the past, like from 2015 to to now, and, and will continue, was more or less helping people specifically with the TEDx use case. People would say, "Hey." I've dreamed of doing a TEDx talk or like I've got this business or this nonprofit and we really want to get on this platform, but it's, it's hard. Like I keep, I keep it in turned down or I don't know what to do, whatever. So um, helping people with just that, that use case, the book is designed to expand that into people that maybe they don't care about doing a TEDx talk. They want to write a book or they want to do other speaking or they want to be seen as a thought leader, kind of go-to expert in their field, which I think depends mostly on, substance not just style so you can be charismatic and and whatever on stage but like if you have nothing to say like that that shows very quickly so Mm -hmm. the lessons that i've learned from helping clients get booked on a tedx stage which is very similar to like how do you come up with this big idea that people really resonate with I want to expand that reach. So I think that's, that's my next antelope. Antelope. Uh, <laughs> Slightly related, yeah. you know, yeah, and also, and, uh, yeah. also an animal. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, on a personal note, so I did it, I mentioned to you before, I did an Ironman mm-hmm. triathlon last year, 2019. So I went from that to decide, okay, what's my a bigger, badder challenge. So now I'm training to swim the English channel. So nice. I, I swim like six or seven days a week. That's my personal thing. So when you do that, do you get yeah. like a team around you and like a boat? So like if shit hits a fan, like you can just like duck out or like. Yeah. So I had to put down a deposit for a boat captain okay. and they navigate you across. So most races, like if I do a, yeah. like a three, four kilometer race, even if yep. it's in a straight direction, you can kind of poke your head up and see. And yep. the race has like, they've got, they've got it all sectioned off. There's no boats mm-hmm. going across, you know, they have lifeguards and things like that to keep you safe. Yep. But the English channel is one of the busiest shipping channels in the world. So the boats, yeah. the boat captain's job is to basically make sure you don't hit a cruise ship or a, mm-hmm. a cargo ship or vice versa. Yep. And, and then you also have to have your own crew. Like, mm-hmm. so this would be probably my parents and maybe my coach or something to give you food and, and nutrition and stuff along the way <laughs> because you can't a trip or an endeavor of that distance you have to ingest a lot of food yeah. which is why you go so wow. interestingly that was um when i knew that i had to put down a deposit mm-hmm. i resisted for a long time even though i had the bank details i had the money none of that was a problem what i realized i was stalling on for myself and my own psychology was i wasn't sure if i knew anybody well enough that liked me enough that they would fly to England, mm-hmm. sit around some hotel for a week, waiting for right weather conditions on the right day yep. to just get a call to say, yeah, tomorrow we go. Mm-hmm. And then to sit on a boat in the middle of the English Channel for like 12 <laughs> hours, 12, 15 hours while I just swim. It's not anyone's like dream holiday. So uh, <laughs> I, it's interesting. Uh, the crew thing was a, 
point of delay for me in yeah. committing the whole thing just because of the social aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, it's awesome though, man. Uh, definitely keep me informed when you go. We'll have to come back and do another episode about. Yeah. So that'd be, yeah. July, 2022 is when it's booked nice. for. And I think the same thing is true. Like, so when people listening, like when they do big things, whether that big thing is like a, a TEDx talk or writing a book or, or an Ironman or a marathon or what have you, mm-hmm. you transform in the process. So for me, like with my coaching clients, I like to tell them that I am not just helping you get a TEDx talk. I'm helping you become a TEDx speaker. Yep. And to do that, I mean, there's, there's clients I have where they realize they need therapy like halfway through our engagement because things are coming up from their childhood that like they're afraid of getting themselves out there and they can't yep. figure out why until their therapist is like, yeah, when you were three years old, your teachers told you this. Yeah. So I mean, you really become a different person. That's one of the reasons I do all these crazy athletic things mm-hmm. is because you realize after you do an Ironman, for example, uh, they, they tell it, they have an announcer at the end. They say, Ryan Hildebrand from Calgary, Canada, you are an Ironman, right? It's, yeah. it's a crazy awesome moment because you realize like I've just trained for months, mm-hmm. like twice a day, up to three times a day for months, like for nine months this is what was my, my training schedule. And you transform, right? In that process, you realize new things about yourself. And, and the same thing is true with, with becoming a TEDx speaker. You realize like, I've just done something that only one in every hundred thousand people have ever done. Right. Period. It's a cool moment. Yeah. It's not just about publishing an idea. It's about saying like, this is, this is me to the world and I'm, I'm becoming a public person. I'm, this is the thing I'm leading. This is the idea that I've got for the world in, in, in a way. So yeah, there's a lot of really cool, it's not just about the idea and not just about hitting publish. It's, it's about the, the transformation of yourself. And I think that's priceless. It's so cool. Thanks so much for coming on, Ryan. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing more and having you on again soon. Thanks, Sean.